0: Well, this is my favorite time of the year. Uh, we have uh, Thanksgiving just right around the corner, and then you've got the Christmas season. Uh, for us as a church, uh, that means a variety of things as well. Uh, one, uh, today we're going to be starting a series called "A Lasting Legacy." We're going to take three Sundays, and we're just going to dive off into what it looks like for us to honor the God, uh, for, for us to honor God in our families, and the legacy that we leave to our kiddos and our grandkiddos. And it's applicable to everybody here. Uh, Then, after those three Sundays, uh, we're going to gather uh, together as one church in one location on our Edgewood campus for the three Sundays in December. And I will tell you, it's going to be fantastic, and you should be there. And so, go ahead and put those three Sundays that's the 3rd, the 10th, and the 17th on your calendar and make sure that you are a part of our all in series as we wrap up 2023, which is hard to believe that we are at the end of 2023. Um, If it's gone really fast, what that means is you're getting older faster, and the older we get, the faster things go, and the faster things go, the more I look up, and I'm like, I've been out of high school for like 25 years now, and for some of you, it's 45 years, so I feel better about myself. So... Today, we're going to begin a series. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 127, a fantastic passage, really a classic text on the family and what it looks like uh, for us to honor God in our families. As you're turning there, uh, I'm reminded uh, as we think about a legacy series of a dad who is uh, doing grocery shopping. And I don't know about you, but anytime a dad goes grocery shopping, you already got some problems on your hand. Uh, But dad's doing some uh, grocery shopping. And as he's going along, he's got his little 18-month-old son with him. And uh, he's going through the store and uh, he's shopping along the outside aisles, tempted by the inside aisles. And as he's doing this, his little boy is just screaming at the top of his lungs. And it's a relentless scream. Uh, Have y'all ever been there? Uh, And as this little boy is screaming... um, He's just saying to himself, George, it's okay. Like, it's okay. Like, just, just stay calm. It's okay. George, it's okay. Don't, don't get too excited. It's okay. Hey, George, it's okay. Don't, you don't have to, don't be that loud. Don't, hey, George, just stay calm. And just aisle after aisle. He is just saying, George, it's okay. Like, just, it's it's just quieting down. Don't, 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 don't get too excited. George, don't say anything that you don't, don't, don't be that loud. He's just going aisle after aisle after aisle. And as he's doing this, uh, this older lady has just kind of been watching. And in kind of in a creepy way, it's just kind of been following him. Uh, but as he gets to the checkout, gets everything, she walks up to him and she says, Sir, I just have to tell you, I'm so impressed how self-composed you've been and how you have dealt with little George. And he goes, Oh, ma'am, you're confused. That's not George. I'm George. <laughs> <clears throat> A lasting legacy starts with us. Um, It's like drawing a circle around us and just beginning to deal with what's inside. And I know that as we think about a lasting legacy, that this series can invoke a variety of of really emotions. Um, I would say that many of us in here um, grew up in in ways that we are thankful for. I would suppose that there are many of us in here that as we have grown up or as we're growing up, there are things that we have been dealt in life that have been unfair or in some ways you feel like something's been absent. And and here's the the thing is that as we walk through these next handful of weeks, I can encourage you. Um, in several ways. One is that the Lord is near. Um, two, that as we sense conviction or as we know that there's things that need to be changed, that the Lord walks with those who will humble themselves and seek his face. Um, and in the midst of all of this, I think what I want you to hear most is that as we think about a lasting legacy, you may not have one that's been left to you, but there's no reason you can't leave one. And so to me, it's as Harry Truman had on his desk, the buck stops here. And when you just decide that for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord, then you can begin to look at this a little differently. And so as we go through this passage today, uh, in Psalm 127, uh, five verses, I want to just show you four things that are true about this passage and that are true about all of us. And so let's begin in Psalm 127. Um, If you're kind of new to your Bible, you're like, I don't even know where Psalms is. Um, Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. If you're really good, you can open up to the middle. And uh, if you're really good, you land right there in Psalms, okay? Um, If you landed in Proverbs, we're going to go there in a second too. So that's good. But it's back to your left, okay? So Psalms 127, that's the big numerals. And then you have small numerals, which are your verses. We're going to cover verses one through five. And we're going to dive in now. It says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And blessed is the man who fills his quiver full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate." Let me pray for us, and then we're going to outline this text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you use your word to shape our lives. And I pray that today you would do just that. We ask that you would help us to honor you with this time and that you would lead us into an understanding of your word and the application as well that we wouldn't be merely hears the word and so deceive ourselves, but God, that we would do what it says. In Jesus' name, amen. So there in Psalm 127, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor do it in vain. Um, When the Latin Vulgate came out, which was the Hebrew translated into the Latin, this became a very popular expression in that day and time. And the the expression was translated from these particular verses, verses one and verses two, into a phrase called nisi dominus frustra. Nisi uh, was the idea of if not, or if no, unless it's the the idea that if this doesn't happen, and the dominus is master or Lord. So if no Lord frustra which is frustration, or that what you do is vanity. If you toil and you labor, you get up early and you go to bed late, the Bible is telling you here in Psalm 127 that if you do that and the Lord's not with you, it's all in vain. So here, the point of Solomon most likely writing this is to say, listen, if you do not include the Lord in what you're doing, then you're going to become frustrated. It's going to be vanity. It's all going to be a loss. And what's interesting about this passage is that you see that as it's outlined in Psalm 127, it's really impacting several different spheres of our society. He talks about the house, he talks about the watchman of the city, and then he also talks about the family. And the reality is the reason that you see this, this whole idea in view is because the family shapes society. Now, I don't know if you realize that, but that is true. And if a family is not including the Lord in what it's doing, then you're going to become what? Frustrated. Even your plans are going to become futile over time. As a result, that leads to not only the house, but eventually the city. I don't know if you've recently said to yourself, man, I do not like what's going on in our country. Anybody frustrated with what's happening in our country? Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you go, man, I don't understand what's happened in our country. Or maybe you even say to yourself, like, I'm so tired of today's youth. Maybe we look at uh, the millennial age or we look at these teenagers today. And you just go, man, I'm so frustrated. Well, the implication of this passage puts the emphasis not on necessarily the society, but on the familial unit. The reality is if you're unsettled, what's happening in America, the problem is the home. It really makes sense of this passage when you see that the watchman labors in vain, as a result, so does a parent when he doesn't, what, shoot his arrow straight. see, as we look at this whole idea, it's important to note that if you're going to leave a lasting legacy, that the Lord has to be in all of it. Like it begins with you and your personal walk with the Lord. Uh, When Jesus says the words in John chapter 15, verse five, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. The next phrase, when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The implication is, is if you labor in your life, in your family, in society, in politics, in anything you do without the Lord, you will be disconnected from the vine. The branches will wither and die, and you will not bear much fruit. Therefore, you will be frustrated. And that happens when we don't walk closely with the Lord. I talk to wives all the time who are frustrated because their husbands won't lead. I talk to kiddos all the time who are frustrated because they have no father present in their home. No no one to advocate for them. As a result of that, you see in many ways just the shaping of our society, friends. Friends. And so here's the thing. As we look at this passage, I think it's important to note a few things. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you're toiling anxiously. You're even eating the bread of anxious toil. Verse 2. But it says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. In the Hebrew, it literally says he gives to his beloved sleep. That Christ is our rest, that we rest not in our work or not in working towards God, but he worked towards us. And he worked towards us in sending his son, the perfect lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus said this after pursuing Zacchaeus, that it was he that came to seek and save that which was lost. Friends, our society needs Jesus. If our society is going to find Jesus, it begins when the Lord is over our house, when the Lord guides our family. And what's interesting though, is that he shifts. And that's where he says, behold, when you see the word behold, it means uh, to pay attention or to take in or to grasp all. It's this all striking pause here. And you are to behold that children are a heritage from the Lord. It's interesting because he says they are the fruit of the womb. They're a reward, which just simply means that as you have children, your eyes have to go upward. And the reason why is because children are from the Lord. Genesis chapter one just tells us that it is in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. In uh, Colossians chapter one, we know that everything that has been made, both seen and unseen, was created by God, by him, for him, and through him. As a result, nothing has ever been created that was not created by God. John chapter one, we see clearly that Jesus is the word that the word was with God, the word was God. In verse 3, we see that he created everything that ever was. As a result of that, that means that when you have children, not only are they inherited from the Lord, but they are the fruit of the womb. They are a reward. They are a blessing from God. So as a result of that, that's our very first point. If the family is the is the, the, the fabric of society, then you have to believe. As God says in his word that children are a heritage from the Lord. And that's point number one. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Proverbs chapter 17, verse six says, grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their fathers. When you read that, and I'll leave it there for you so you can see it for a second. You're like, I don't even understand what that says. Like, what does that mean? Like, grandchildren are the crown of the aged. The idea is, as you think about a delight or a crown, grandchildren are the crown of those who are older. The idea there is that it's it's the guy who you run into at Brookshire's and he pulls out his wallet and he's like showing you all of his 19 grandchildren. And he just wants to sit in the aisle and just tell you about it. They are the crown of the age. It's the idea. They are the light. If you have grandparents in your life, they are both a blessing and a nuisance. Um, A blessing because they, they delight in your children. They're a nuisance because they let your children get away with things that they never let you get away with. Can they get an amen? Yes. They're like, hold on. I didn't ever get to do that. Listen, my son yesterday was talking about something. He used the word but, B-U-T-T. Now, in my house, that was unacceptable. That meant that zest was in my mouth if I said that word. I'm not even lying. My, my son said that last night in front of my mom. She kind of laughs. And I'm like, hold on. Where's the, where's the standard here, you know? Grandchildren are a crown of the aged. What's interesting, though, it also says, "And the glory of children is their fathers." The idea there is, is when the family is right, not only are grandchildren blessed or uh, by their grandparents, and likewise grandparents blessed by their grandchildren, but children are blessed by their father. When things are right in the house, there is something to be said. For having a special dad. I I know that in the early years of our kiddos growing up, I'm I'm a snuggler. So our kids are in my lap. And I mean, it it would be nothing for all three of them to be in a rocking chair with me as we watch a movie. And Kelly's on a couch by herself. (laughs) You know, and we'd go to bed and she's like, I just don't understand. I don't feel like they love me as much as they love you. And I'm like, they absolutely love you. But here's the deal. Moms, you know things are right when your kiddos love daddy. That's when it's right. It's, it's right. That's what the heritage of the Lord means. Children love their fathers and their grandparents love their grandchildren. Now you go, but that doesn't always happen. And it's not necessarily what I'm always seeing. And here's the deal. You won't see it when the society doesn't believe that children are a heritage from the Lord. And you got to ask yourself the question, does our society believe that children are a heritage from the Lord? The question you got to ask yourself too is, do I believe that children are a heritage from the Lord? And if our society doesn't believe it, then how easy is it for the family not to believe it? How is it, is it for a churchgoer to not believe it? So the reality is, is that if children are inherited from the Lord, then it means that we have to believe such. Why do we believe such? Is because God is the one who created children. He's the one who blessed the mother's womb. But not only is he the creator, but we also see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that he said, let us make man in our image we as men and women are created in the image of God. We are image bearers of his likeness. Um, Not only are we image bearers of his likeness, but in Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 and 14, it reminds us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That even before one of our days came to be that God knew us in our mother's womb. Now, why is that important? It's because God is teaching in his word that children are a delight to society, that they are the heritage from God. The contrasting challenge is that society doesn't always believe that. And if society doesn't believe that, and you and I don't believe that, then it will begin to impact the home, won't it? Let's just think about America for a second. Family size is decreasing over the course of America. Why? It's because most of us are becoming more selfish. And as we become more selfish, pursue bigger homes, nicer cars, more money from our jobs the familial unit is decreasing in size simply because we see children as a burden and they, they keep us from receiving the ends of our means. The reality is, is we have goals in mind and children can oftentimes slow us down or get in the way. They are a cumbersome load. and As a result, we don't see them as a heritage from God. We see them as something that happens maybe to bring about the furtherance of our name, but we don't see them as a delight. You might ask the question, well, how do you come to such a conclusion? Well, after the passing of Roe versus Wade, Pew Research Center did a poll nationally, and this is what they discovered. After the passing or the overturning of Roe versus Wade, 62% of American adults believe that abortion should still be in place in almost all cases. That means six out of 10 people believe that it's okay to kill a child in a mother's womb. Now, what does that suggest? Does it suggest that merely a woman has rights over her body? See, I think it suggests something far more. It suggests something that you and I, as we think about us, have a poor view of God. Because the reality is, if God is saying children inherit from the Lord, If he is the creator and we are merely his creation, the question is, is how do we get to flip his intended order? And if you look over the fabric of society, what are ways that we have flipped the order of God? Have we done it in marriage? In Genesis chapter two, God says a man would leave his father and mother and cling together as one, right? How have we distorted that? How have we flipped it as his creation? See, our societal fabric is being shredded apart because we have lost a big view of God. And more than that, we have lost the fact that God says things are true. And one of the things that he says is true is that children are a heritage from the Lord. Now, the deal is this. If children are a heritage from the Lord, then the question is, is what are we to do with them? Well, what's interesting is, is Psalm 127 simply tells us that children are not just the heirs of a ward, but look at verse four. It says they are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Point number two is that children are arrows. Now think about that for just a second. If you want an arrow today, you put it in Amazon and it shows up within a handful of days, right? Maybe you go to Walmart, Academy, Dick's sporting goods, you go to one of these big box stores, you get you a handful of arrows for your bow. But back in the day, that's not how it was done. In Solomon's time, if a warrior wanted an arrow, they had to form it and shape it. And that, I think, is the intended message that the writer has in mind. When he thinks about arrows in the hand of a warrior, he is saying children are not only a precious commodity, not only are they a heritage of the Lord, but they have to be guided skillfully crafted, and friends, they have to be shot straight, strong, and true. For instance, if you're a parent or you're a grandparent in here, the question you got to ask yourself is, how am I shooting my arrows? If your quiver quiver is full of them, then how are you shooting them? Are, Are they straight? Are they being shot straight? Are you going, well, you know, I hope that we hit the target. Think about the implication of this in this passage. What if you shoot an arrow and it doesn't hit the target? What does an arrow do if it hits something other than the target? Possibly damage, hurt, bring about the death of something other than what your intended target was. That's a challenge, isn't it? So the implication here is if children are a heritage of the Lord, they are like arrows in your hand, which means your children and your, your grandchildren will go exactly where you point them. Like, they'll go exactly where you're shooting them. And the question you got to ask yourself is, how am I shooting them? Um, Barna did some research around teenagers today. And I'll put it for you up on the screen, but it just says this about teenagers. Right now, 3% of teenagers read the Bible every single day. 3% of te- teenagers read the Bible every single day. Now, let me just put that in mind for you. Um, Wednesday night, student ministry here uh, in our, on our Wills Point campus, we have about 100 kiddos. <laughs> That come every Wednesday night, uh, our Edgewood campus, which Edgewood's hanging out with us right now, joining us live online, uh, live with us, uh, they have about 30 or 40 kiddos. So there's 134, 130 to 140 kiddos that are being involved in our student ministry pretty consistently. If you were to take 100 of those, three of those are reading the Bible every single day. That's what national average would suggest. About 11% of them would say that they are reading the Bible sporadically once a week. And another 11% of them would say that they read the Bible more than three times a week. But when you look at the time and the margin, the standard of reading is very slim. But the reality is is only 3% would say that they are closely connected to God through the Bible. Matter of fact, when you start beginning to look at teenagers and other studies Here's what they would say is that 20% of teenagers believe the Bible to be the complete, accurate, infallible word of God. That means that 80% of today's teens believe the Bible is an inspirational book at best. That, friends, is who our kiddos are going to school with. It might even be our own kiddos. might be even us. What's interesting too is that one in three teenagers believe the Bible is merely a source to help guide them through today's society. So it's just a book that guides people through difficult times. Similar polls through Barna would say that 46% of teenagers believe that Jesus offers hope to people, but only 23% of today's teenagers believe that you can have a personal relationship to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if that's alarming or staggering or you're like, man, it's better than I thought it would be what it suggests to me is that many of us are struggling to shoot our kiddos straight, strong, and true. Which is why Proverbs 1 verse 8 and 9 says this, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. See, the reality is, is that children bless us when they go the direction we'd like them to go, right? Like, I don't know about you, but most of us are like, man, wouldn't it be a blessing to have a teenager that's obedient? Yes. Amen. A teenager that doesn't like d- go his own way, right? Like, yes. Now look, there's a handful of us in this room that are like, that's my teenager. Like my teenagers are the light. Many parents I talk to are like, man, these are the roughest years of our life. Like you might remember having kiddos, like we had three kiddos and diapers all at the same time in a five-year period, and I can remember just thinking, Lord, will this season ever end? And they're all moving now into their teenage years. And people were like, Bless your heart, right? <laughs> well, listen, children have to be shot in a way that pleases the Lord. Malcolm Gladwell, in his book I read many years ago, is a book called Outliers. He suggests that if you're ever going to become good at your craft, that you need to spend a minimum of 10,000 hours. For instance, Tiger Woods was a good golfer because he spent over 10,000 hours maximizing his talent in the craft of golf. If you were to apply that to parenting, you might ask the question, well, how many hours do I spend with my kid? Well, you would say, Lots of hours. But the question is not how many hours do you spend with your kids? The question is, is how many hours do you spend strategically with your kid? And if you're going to reach the 10,000-hour mark mark by the time your kids are 18, that means that you have to strategically use an hour and a half of your day every day of their lives until they're 18 to reach the 10,000-hour mark. That means that you and I have little time to waste. And you might ask the question, well, okay, an hour and a half, you're meaning that if I spend an hour and a half a day every day that there's a great chance that my kiddos would be shot in a capacity that's straight and that they might be productive citizens? No, that's not what I said. Matter of fact, the goal is not to have kids that are productive citizens. The goal is to have kids that love Jesus and are spiritual champions. And here's what I would tell you stats say that is absolutely achievable with an hour and a half a day and some strategic moments throughout the week. So maybe you're here and you're like, man, I've done terrible. I can already tell. Listen, here's what I want you to hear. There is still hope. And there are a few subtle things that you could adjust in your schedule this week. And in the coming months, whether you're a grandparent, a foster parent, a parent, a guardian, an uncle, an aunt, whoever it is, you're shaping a kiddo's heart. Here's a few subtle things that statistically would say will produce a spiritual giant. Here they are. I I think they're rather simple. Here's one of them out of the five, that you would eat dinner as a family five out of seven evenings every week. Now, what's interesting is, is that there's not a length of time required. It's not like you have to have sit down, meal. You don't have to have candlelight. You don't have to bring out the fine china. Paper plates will do. Um, some time where devices are turned off and that you could have some conversation is very helpful. And if you could do this five out of seven days a week, your, your odds increase at producing spiritual champions. What's interesting is that you could also be in the car running through um, Taco Casa on the way to a soccer game in order for that to still be acquired and achieved. Um, I watched a video this week of uh, some, some uh, ministry leaders that, that lived in New York. And they said, you know, it looks different in New York because we walk everywhere and we ride the subway everywhere. And so our time is face-to-face and we can use moments, even in the midst of our society, even in the midst of craziness, to produce spiritual champions. And I would say that's true here, even though our context looks a little different than New York and subway systems. But think strategically. The second thing is, is that spiritual champions served with their family in a ministry. Like they served alongside of the local church. They were entrusted, number three, ministry responsibilities at an early age. If uh, the camera's a little wobbly in Edgewood, well, it's because my 12-year-old son is running the camera back there. Everybody look back at Caleb. Say, hey, Caleb. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that warm your heart? Or does it challenge you that a 12-year-old is having to lead our ministry? It's amazing how many adults I talk to that are letting young kiddos lead. And Caleb is one of about 35 kiddos here that are 16, 17 and under that are leading. Like as I walk across, there's a whole row of kiddos right here um, that are leading in marvelous ways. In our kids ministry, um, There are there's a, there's a small group of our uh, high school guys um, that they have small group leaders, but they've kind of taken the lead of their small group. It's just super cool to see. And here's the deal. That's That's what you do. You entrust responsibility to youngers. But listen, let me ask you a question. Is it God's design that young people would lead the church? No. Is it God's design that men would lead? Well, yes. Why? Because they have children. And not only do they have children, but those children are arrows, and they need to be pointed straight, strong, and true. As I kind of wrap up this little point, this is just important to note. um, As I was looking at research, it was interesting to me that Barner Research said that 80% of teens nationally will enter the local church for a period of time. Most of those that were polled said that they were in a local church or youth ministry for two to three months of their teenage years but then left the church. Matter of fact, only 20% of those that were once in the church remained. And you might ask the question, why did some remain and why did others not? I just gave you the answers. Those who have family dinners, those who invest in ministry, those who give their time to local church and inspire their kiddos to do the same, those are the ones that are staying and they're the ones who are impacting the church for years and years and years to come. The fourth thing is they had at least one spiritual experience in their home each week, which meant there's a devotional or a prayer time. There's something that you instigate, which is good news for my my family because sometimes you think, I got to have a devotional every night to be successful. No, you actually don't. If that's your goal, it's probably unrealistic. But if you could gather your family a handful of times each week to focus on things that are important, to walk through a book of the Bible together, that is really helpful. And the last thing is they had at least one adult outside of themselves that was faith-focused. They had small group leaders that took them to ball games, that did campouts, that went the extra mile. They were faith-focused leaders. And you might wonder, well, do we have faith-focused leaders? Yes, we do. We have leaders that are rocking it in our student ministry and our kids ministry. Here's the challenge. We don't have enough leaders rocking it. If fathers are the ones who leave a legacy, we ought to have more fathers shaping the hearts of youngsters in those ministries. I don't know, honestly, why we don't have grandfathers to say, hey, my, la- my legacy is going to go beyond just my family, but it's going to impact the next generation in kids ministry, in sports programs, Like we ought to have more men, older leaders investing. Why not? If God has given you breath and time, then don't make your kingdom about you. Make your kingdom about God's kingdom and invest wisely. Why? Because if you look at that passage, here's the deal. Children are always traced back to the warrior. You and I are responsible to God for what we do with our family and how our family impacts society. If you don't like the way that society is going, then you have to introspectively look and say, hey, how am I contributing to it? And I would say that there's a whole grace versus nature view that you could go look at. And I don't have time to unpack. It's a whole nother message sermon. But most of us, we might have the lens that as Christians, we are to separate ourselves from society. I have a different view. I have a view that because we are Christians, we ought to enter ourselves into society. So as a result, if I am a Christ follower, I have to lead my family well, because ultimately my children are going to be traced back to me and my heritage. I'll give an account to God for that. But I also think that's why I should serve in student ministry. And that's what I do. Do you think I want to be here every Wednesday night serving in student ministry? Because I just love it can think of nothing better to do. Is my heart always right in it? No, but the reality is is I have an opportunity to shape the next generation. You can do that as a basketball coach, a soccer coach. You can do it as a small group leader. Hey, you can do it on a school board. You can do it in city council. There's a multitude of ways that if you realize that the family unit is the fabric of society and a godly heritage produces some incredible fruit, friends, you and I ought to enter the game as opposed to remove ourselves from the game. And I think we've confused that oftentimes in our society because our goal is to protect us and our family at all costs. The challenge is... And, just to candidly say, I've made a decision in my family because I want to put my kids into things that are difficult to where they have to see empathy in, in places that are hard as a result to protect them all their lives. Now, look, that's a whole other discussion and not, there's not right versus wrong. But the reality is, is that we have to think about ways that we are producing spiritual champions because ultimately they're, they're going to be traced back to us and you and I have an option to get in the game. Proverbs 14, 26 says, it's in the fear of the Lord that one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. Proverbs verse 20, verse seven says, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. When you follow Jesus, your children will follow you. Now, is there the occasion where you're following Jesus and your children don't follow you. Yes. But the norm is if you follow Jesus, your children will follow you. Now you might ask the question, "Well, I think I'm following Jesus. Would you want to know?" Ask your children. They're arrows and they'll shoot you straight. Just ask them will you write down the two things that daddy loves most? Now look, that's only men of courage. <laughs> Ask them, hey, what are the two things that mommy loves most? And hey, you can write these down and you, hey, there will be no retribution. I'm not gonna yell at you, scream at you. I just wanna know what two things do you think I desire most? And see what it says. My hope would be that every single one of us, their kids respond, man, you love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And our family is loved second. But the reality is, is that most of us probably are shaped by other things, right? Our time is invested in other places. Our kids see it. And so just ask that question. Here's the key. You may say, I'm shooting my kids straight. You may say, I'm leaving a godly legacy. You may say, I'm doing everything I can. Here's the point number four, is that time will tell how you shot your arrows. See, what's interesting in that study, and I'll wrap up with this, when it said 80% of teenagers had been in the local church for two to three months, I think oftentimes we, as optimists and not realists, we take snapshots of our life based off a period of time that was best. You ever done that? And as a result of that, we oftentimes miss the real picture. 80% of teens entered into local church, but the reality is, is most of them didn't stay. See, if we look at our, our teenagers over the course of a span of their life, we go, man, they're doing really good. They're making good grades They're they're plugged into youth ministry. If that's the snapshot you take and that's where you leave it, then you'll be convinced that you've done a really spectacular job. But the key is, is not to look at that particular stage, but look after they've left home. What are they doing when they're no longer under your care and provision? Did they run astray? Did they go and do a life of partying? What, what was it that led their heart? That is the key, is to make sure that when they're no longer having you wake them up to get to church, will they wake themselves up? When they're in a freshman class at a university and a philosopher is telling them that Jesus is just a mere teacher and not the way, how do they stand up to that test? Are they ready? Are they prepared? That is when you know that you've stood the test of time. And friends, I would just encourage you to know that you and I have an opportunity to shoot our children straight in a way that pleases God, produces much fruit. They can be a blessing, a heritage and provision from God. Or if not, they can do a lot of damage. And not only will they do a lot of damage and cause a lot of retribution, if you are not shooting them straight, I will tell you, we live in a world that will shoot them in a direction that is false. And we have to be vigilant and we have to be on our game. And when we think about a lasting legacy, listen, I'm not hoping this merely warms your heart for a week. I'm hoping that this causes you to start looking at lasting things, choices, decisions, the way that you think through money, finances, time, relationships, all of those things for the glory of God and for the good of the next generation. And here's the hope is if you look back and you go, man, I wish I'd have had this message 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. What I want you to hear most is that this message is for today. God is a multiplier of time. He is a multiplier of seed. And when you trust him in areas that maybe you lacked at one point, he can do immeasurably more than we could ask, think, or Imagine. And so I would just encourage you not to beat yourself up over all the things I didn't do. But today, as Joshua said back in the Old Testament, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm asking my church family and I'm asking you, would you stick a stake in the ground and say, today, we're going to do some things differently. Dads, would you just evaluate and say, today, I'm going to do something different. Grandparents, single moms, grandmas that are raising kiddos by yourself. Look, you have an opportunity to leave a lasting legacy. It may not be God's ultimate design, the way that you're leading. But the reality is, is that God takes difficult situations and he does miraculous things when our hearts are humble and obedient and postured towards him. And that is my prayer, that our church would become postured towards him. But listen, not just for our family, but for church families. Not just for our church families, but a city that's in need. And for cities and a county that's in need. And more than that, a nation that is going to the wayside. And you and I have an opportunity to change the course. Will you and I leave a lasting legacy? Time will tell. And the mark of what's happening and the faithfulness here at Stone Point Church is not what it's been in the last 10, 12, or 13 years. It's what it will be 50 years from now. And when we planted this church 13 years ago, the mark of faithfulness that I desire to see in the Lord is that this church would still be going strong 50 and 100 years after 13 people gathered for the first time. And that is still my prayer and that is still my hope. And it's not because of a pastor or a staff because it's a people who love the Lord and see children as a heritage and desire to see ministry done well in our homes, in our cities, and at a national level. You and I shape society. And if you don't know that, I pray the Lord will illumine you to that today. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, it is certainly convicting to me. And I pray, Lord, that as you convict us, that you don't leave us in a place where we're broken down or in despair. But Lord, I pray that you would use conviction to spurn us, to spur us on to love and good deeds to help us become righteous people who walk in integrity, that our children are blessed after us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to give discipline to our kiddos, that they would be a delight to our hearts and that we would shoot them straight, strong, and true, that they would provide strength to a society because we provided strength in their adolescence. Lord, I pray that you would really Put it upon our hearts to be the kind of men and women that lead well. That, Lord, that you would help us to not merely watch the church be handed over to young people, but, Lord, that we would lead well into not only our adulthood, but into the elderly ages that you've given us. Lord, as long as we have breath, may we praise the Lord and may we make it about you. We need your help because we're easily led astray, we're easily misguided, and we're easily becoming selfish in our day and age. Would you help us to fix our eyes on you as the author and perfecter of our faith? And would you lead us as we lead young people? In Jesus' name, amen.